0: was like, wow, you know, you can't get any decent food delivered here when you've been boozing. Then I was like, wait a minute, maybe I should start something that is a late night delivery service for food that you can get in like half an hour. You want it from McDonald's or BK. So that was like the initial idea. And I didn't take it very seriously, to be honest. You could say, well, why would you take this job? Well, it's because it's the biggest market in the world and we're early and we're fundamentally changing how people live.
1: Will Shu is about as on brand a founder of a unicorn company as I think you're going to find. For starters, he's impossibly difficult to get in the studio for an interview, which is, of course, completely understandable and even expected. But rumors about his passionate dedication to the Deliveroo customer cause are the stuff of legend. Rumor has it, he still delivers to customers on his bike himself, though not quite as frequently as when he first
0: started. Will, true or false? Yeah, I mean, I, I did it every single day for about nine months um, in the beginning. But in the last month, I've actually done it quite a few times. I did it in Paris uh, for three days and did it in Australia for about three days. So got a chance to kind of see different markets. I love seeing different neighborhoods meeting customers, talking to other riders, so it's great.
1: That definitely explains the tan a little bit more than France. Do I have would. a tan? I a think I'm just bit. very
0: hot. Yeah, yeah.
1: well, that, that too. We are in a hot room. Now, his incredible company has so far done the seemingly impossible, staving off competition not only from Uber but Amazon too, who recently invested heavily into the European unicorn in their recent £450 million realm, valuing them at over $4 billion. Now, since 2013, it's grown to cover 80,000 restaurants. Still true, or have we grown since then?
0: That's probably more, but I don't know. Exactly. Sure.
1: Well, we'll just we'll just keep these facts for now and just know that growth is growth. So by the Where time... did you
0: get that valuation number, by the way?
1: Um, uh, that's a
0: good question. Business Insider? Okay. Yeah? Yeah. We, I mean, we don't disclose it, but I'm oh, yeah. just Bus- kind of curious. B- B- Business
1: Insider to the rescue, potentially or not.
0: <laughs> I have no comment. <laughs> uh, okay,
1: fair play. <laughs> well, we just have what we read. Don't believe everything you read, folks. They've got 60,000 riders and around 2,500 employees around the world. It operates in over 500 cities in 14 countries... Still right? So to date... We're in 13 markets. 13, not 14. God damn it. Right. Which one of these is not right? Australia, Belgium, France, Germany, Hong Kong. We're not Hong in Kong. Germany. Not in Germany. Yeah. All right. Let's do this again then. Oh, Austra- you were in Germany, right? We were
0: in Germany. Yeah, we we exited Germany. Okay,
1: yeah. fine. So We aus- might go
0: back. We don't know. For now, yeah.
1: Australia, Belgium, France, Hong Kong, Italy, Ireland, Netherlands, Singapore, Spain, Taiwan, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, and the UK. Excellent. I get a nod. You can't see it, but it's a nod. We're excited to have him in the studio with us today. And whilst it's the end of the day and he's not actually brought us any dinner, which is a bit rude. I could. He could. There's, there's many things he can do. Well, we'll get order in. That, that seems quite reasonable. I'm going to let this one slide, though, so we can get cracking into what I hope is a cracking interview, Will. So thanks for joining us this evening. We like to kick things off with a quick fire round. So are you ready with that? Sure. OK. Favourite takeout food?
0: Favourite restaurant or favourite type of cuisine? Favourite t- type of cuisine. Hmm. Probably Chinese.
1: Yeah, yeah. I go on. You must have a favorite Chinese. I mean, in it London, depends then.
0: on kind of what neighborhood you're in. Ah, but in this okay. neighborhood, you guys are in Soho. Yeah. I love Manga Fried Chicken, uh, which is this Taiwanese fried chicken place right in Chinatown. It's it's really unique. Uh, the skin's almost like tempura. It's very thin, uh, but very crispy. R- really recommend it. What's your holiday destination of choice? Um, I don't. I haven't really.
1: <laughs> What's a holiday, he wants to
0: say? To be honest, I, I, I'm just anywhere where, you know, I can chill out. So Where,
1: where can you chill out? Um, When's the last time you went on a holiday and chilled out?
0: Yeah, like when I go for work to some of these cities, I, I get to see these cities and you know, check out different neighborhoods and, and, and have fun. So,
1: yeah. But I feel like that's a relevant question, actually. Have you, like, in the last few years, you had an opportunity to just relax somewhere?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, not like a ton, but... I went to Vietnam for a few days um, in between going to Hong Kong and Australia. So we had, I had um, a, a few different work trips there. So that was pretty cool.
1: Okay, I've got an easier question for you. Yeah, tea or coffee?
0: I like green tea, Fair but play. I drink one black americano in the morning always.
1: Okay, you sound like somebody's a regimented time or something.
0: No, I just got into it. I don't know. I don't okay. need coffee, but Fair it's kind of nice to have in the morning. All right, and uh, UK, USA, Taiwan. So I'm American, I was born in, in the US, um, but I've lived here since 2004, with the exception of business school, and, and I, you know, absolutely love it here. Um, this is home. Okay, I feel
1: like he's kind of saying UK, which we will, if, if he didn't say it, then we're going to put those words in his mouth. All right, you grew up in Connecticut, so yeah. what, what, like, so, someone who um, obviously has a clear entrepreneurial streak, like you say, started in 01, like, you yeah. know, obsessing around this idea, so you've always wanted to do something like this. And the idea for Deliveroo and the sort of market problem you identified hit you really early, as I've read. So take us back before then. What kind of uh, upbringing does someone have to sort of spark this curiosity and desire to build?
0: Pretty normal. I grew up in a place called New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, It's a city of, I don't know, 130,000 people, um, probably nine square miles. So pretty small place. Um, And uh, it's, it's famous for a university there, Yale University. And my mom worked there. And my dad also worked around New Haven as well. So just kind of grew up there. I mean, pretty normal, honestly. And Three then siblings? Yeah, I have a little sister. Yeah, yeah. And then went to Chicago for university. I went to a place called Northwestern. And then, so it was four years there. And then in 01, moved to New York, started working, you know, in finance. So investment banking analyst at Morgan Stanley. That's how I discovered food delivery because I worked 100 hours a week and every single meal I consumed in the office, And we didn't have internet ordering. I mean, you guys are, I don't know how old you guys are, but probably a lot younger. And we used to call up the places and give them our credit card details and order on the phone. And then one of my first duties as an analyst was to take physical menus and alphabetize them and collate them by cuisine. So that's just how it worked.
1: Well, as in in a boss of yours asked you to do that? Yeah, my
0: first week, yeah. Yeah. What, as like an intern or a graduate? No, as a graduate, I was like, wow, this yeah. is, you
2: know. I I had exactly that, but I was 10 years after that, 2001. I was doing exactly the same thing in like 2009 when I was at But Bank. they had
0: the internet when you were around.
2: Yeah, I know, but they didn't have anybody to pick that up. So I nah. actually had to go and phone in the order, read out the credit card details, and then I got sent down to Wagamama to go and pick up their cashier Yeah,
0: yeah. The thing about New York, though, was that every restaurant delivered. Um, so you could get... You know, high end, low end, it didn't matter. Um, And so you had this, like, really thick booklet of places. And so, you know, come 8, 9 p.m., you would sit there with your colleagues and be like, all right, what are are we having? And you'd get your card out and kind of order food. And then it became part of your personal life, too, because any New Yorker will tell you, I mean, food delivery has been going on in New York since the 1950s, right? It's not like a new thing because the population density, the restaurant density, the grid system of streets, And then the fact you have doormen everywhere means that delivery just works really well because you can just leave it with a doorman, Mm. usually. And um, these are things I never thought about until I moved here. But, yeah, you could get a steak. You could get a sandwich. You could get an omelet. You know, it it didn't matter. And so that was really cool. uh, But it was just part of You don't think about it much if you live in New York. And then I got transferred here in 2004 and that things were different here.
1: Okay, so um, just, just to get like a, an idea, do you think that if you started Deliveroo in New York, it just never would have taken off because it's just not a problem?
0: New York would be the last place I'd start Deliveroo. Although, you know, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates are there. Ask. Yeah, it's but, so there are restaurants that don't do it, mm. but it's just really easy to deliver food in New York. Like You just walk four blocks and you're done, yeah. right? But yeah, I'd say New York is definitely the anomaly in, in the u.s
1: okay so 2001 you say you came to the uk
0: no four, 04. oh 2004 okay fine so yeah, 2000... july 04 got it canary so wharf yep july
1: july 04
0: <laughs> canary wharf first impressions as a starting point so i never lived outside the u.s you know i never traveled much um just grew up you know kind of where i grew up and um do we speak funny to you no, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking like, yeah, I wasn't like a worldly person, never went on vacation or anything. So um, I guess I got to the UK. Actually, take a step back. So f- April 04, Morgan Stanley said, why don't you come and, and check it out, see if you, you want to move here. And I came and I met this team at Morgan Stanley who I just really clicked with. And I loved how international the people were, because New York it's is a very international city. But London is definitely more international because of Europe, but also the professional class is more more diverse. And so that was great. I met great people. They were like, hey, we're going to go to the pub. I'm like, you guys really do this at like... You know, every day. On a like, Thursday lunchtime. yeah. I was yeah. like, I don't really understand. I, you know, so so maybe they were just, you know, um, showing me a good time, but I really liked it. No, decided I'm pretty sure move. what
1: you've just said uh, is, yeah, you know, making a lot of sense to a lot of people. That does sound quite normal.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we had to work really long hours, but they, they took me out. I had a, had a great time, met really great people, and then um, just decided uh, to move and just moved over in July 04 But what I do remember in regards to the food delivery was, you know, I saw... It was like second day of work. I'm like, guys, what are we doing for dinner? And they were all like, No, we're gonna go to Tesco in the mall, and we're gonna pick up these microwave meals. And I was like, That was the like, first really? time That's... you ever
1: discovered depression. You were like, Oh my
0: god. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. The UK micro, well, microwave meals are delicious yeah, compared they are. to the, to, to Although the US. Although Tesco is not
1: exactly the. Well, actually, I this actually remember incredibly the first... unprofessional of me to say on a recorded interview, but Tesco is not the microwave meal place of choice. I mean, sure. Well, well I, I actually I remember
0: anymore. the first one I had. It was uh, it was paella, right? right? Oh. And um, it was it was like pretty good, you know. But I was like, you know, guys, like you could do better. And everyone's like, what do you mean? I'm like, do you order food for delivery? They're like, no, we just go to the, we just go to the Tesco, and there was a BK and a Tesco mm. and our chilies. So we would rotate between the um, boneless buffalo wings at Chili's, whoppers at BK, and then the Tesco. And I just thought, you know, there could be more variety.
2: Did they, uh, there, there used to be a service called Deliverance. Do you remember those guys? They were basically, because yeah. they did they did a deal, a load of banks, where they they almost like a bank could have like a deliverance portal were they the posh ones deliverance
1: they did like only high end meals they for... did like they, no it wasn't like they
0: cooked their own food. they cooked their own food it was like they had a central but kitchen. it was pretty yeah. good like yeah. i remember like they had a nice um cardboard like yeah. carrier package and no i used to use it i thought it was really great and then domino's of course was the the other one and yeah. which i which i still love honestly but but yeah so you can yeah you still order domino's i mean like i haven't in a while but i actually really like it yeah it's quite a I unique i like the chicken product. kickers and it's not very healthy. But well, I mean
1: yeah, it's it's pizza, but you know, it's a cheap meal.
0: Two for Tuesdays. Okay, hey, it's Monday. Okay. Oh shit. Okay. We yeah. could order one. It's yeah. It's <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that we're not able but to actually was, consider just buying full price pizzas. <laughs> that,
0: that was kind of the 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 delivery scene back then. Yeah. Um, you know, when I got here. And I don't even think Just Just Eat wasn't even around back then, I think.
1: No, I don't think they started um, at that point. Or maybe they
0: just launched or something.
1: Yes, we've had David Buttress on the show. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I mean, did they play like an early inspiration for, I mean, obviously it's a different product, but like did they play an early inspiration in terms of, I mean, they kind of pioneered in the UK, like the opportunity in the first
0: place. Yeah, I think they played a role that maybe is different than what you're imagining, which is, you know, when I first tried Just Eat, I thought I was going to get this amazing experience with restaurants I knew when I, and I wanted the order from, and also I could, like, get the food quickly. But what I found was that it was, you know, places I'd never heard of. I would call the restaurants maybe anonymous. So the anonymous Chinese place, Indian kebab, fried chicken pizza place. And then I had no idea when the food was going to show up. So for me, it actually didn't feel like a great consumer experience. And this was in 08 when I first tried it. Sure. But then ultimately, you know, they've been hugely successful. So obviously that that's kind of worked. But, you know, for me, getting food from restaurants I know and love and getting it in like 25 minutes is pretty important. And to be able to track the order and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, it seems strange now um, being here and imagining that that's innovative, you know, to to have uh, been able to order food from the brands you're already familiar with on the high street. But then so many of the guests that we have on the show and the businesses they built, there are really incredibly obvious opportunities. Just no one's gone through the hard pain of figuring out how it would happen. And obviously, in your case, like the logistics is just a complete, you know, mindfuck. It's just so complicated to imagine how we started there. So I guess that brings us on to the exciting bit, which is the acorn of an idea that is Deliveroo and how you actually got going with it.
0: Yeah, like you said, I mean, the idea, like, anyone who's eight years old could come up with it, right? So it wasn't really a novel idea. But the genesis actually um, starts in 08. You know, I was trying just eat. And I admit that when I was trying to— Every just, great
1: idea happens in a recession, they say, right?
0: Well, well I was um, with friends, and, it, you know, we'd been out, and, you know, we'd get back to my place. And I just kept complaining. I was like, wow, you know, you can't get any decent food delivered here— when you're when you've been boozing. Right. And so then I, then I was like, wait a minute, maybe I should start something that is a late night delivery service for food that you can get in like half an hour. You want it for McDonald's or BK. So that was like the initial idea. And I mean, I didn't take it very seriously, to be honest, but, but that was the idea. And then I actually tried starting um, Deliveroo or talked about starting Deliveroo with who would be my co-founder, Greg. He grew up with me in New Haven together. And so I was like – and he he wasn't in London, but I was explaining to him. I'm like, hey, you know, there's these restaurants people want food from. They want it quickly. There's a marketplace model called Just Eat, but they don't deliver the food. So we'd have to build up a courier network and try to make that work. And so we were thinking about it. And he was like, yeah, I think we'd have to put a fax machine or a laptop in each restaurant. And then we'd have to develop some sort of Palm Pilot-type device or somehow, you know – A A pager. Get- a pager, get the guy's Nokia to work. I mean, the iPhone 1 had come out in 07. I think SDK came out in 08. So it was not clear what that, you know, what the iPhone would represent and and, 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 and tablets and all of that. So what you know Steve Jobs created, I think, can never be understated in terms of, like, the impact on the world, right? And So without those devices, none of the stuff today would, would exist.
1: Okay, so talk to us about the first days of Deliveroo.
0: Thinking back on it, let me think here. So graduated business school, uh, was just home in New Haven for for a bit. So Greg actually grew up there too. So we, you know, we would, we, you know, we we're talking about the business. He was living up in Boston. So I would take the train up there and, and kind of spend time with him. And then I was like, okay, going to move out to London. So I guess that was September 12th. Man, so yeah, seven years ago, about seven years ago feels like it's about 50, if I'm honest, but... <laughs> yeah. um, no surprise. <laughs> moved out here. And so I was here alone. And so we would kind of Skype and, and do stuff over Skype. And then um, he then came out after developing the product more probably around Jan. And so he was just living in my um, in my flat, but my f- it was pretty funny, actually. My flatmate, uh, Forrest, great guy, uh, also a friend of mine from business school. He was just like, when is this guy leaving? He can't just stay here for months yeah. You know, so Greg just be on the couch, yeah. and you know, forest be like, "What are you doing?" Um, and, and then, and then launched. Um, what was your rebuttal? I just kind of ignored him. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Chill out. I was like, "Hey, man, don't worry. It's it's, it's okay." Yeah. He's like, it's, it's "Not it okay." a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so, and then, and then, and then, yeah, and then basically started talking to restaurants, um, trying to get all this set up, getting the marketing materials ready, and then. You know, like doing stuff like talking to the payment processors, you know, stuff like that, getting a bank account set up, which was like the biggest pain in the ass ever here. Yeah, it is Um, is bad. I mean, I couldn't do it. I had to use my personal one for Mm -hmm. a long time.
1: Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com/secretleaders. That's v a n t a.com/secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Do you remember who the first restaurant you pitched was and who the first ones that said yes were?
0: I definitely remember the first restaurants that said yes. I think they were the first ones I pitched. So we started the business on the King's Road in Chelsea, basically. And so the Stockpot was a restaurant, and I used to live above it. And so the owner, Angelo, great guy, you know, he'd always just hang out. We'd have a glass of wine, talk, and he was like, hey, what have you been up to? And I was like, I was in business school for a few years. I'm back here. Here's what I'm trying to start. And he's like... Well, it seems like a pretty bad idea, and I was like, "Well, why?" And he's like, "Well, why wouldn't someone just come pick it up from the restaurant?" And I'm like, "Because they're lazy." I'm like, it seemed like pretty obvious to me. And then he's like, "Fine, you want to try it out? You can put the tablet in here, put a printer here, like whatever. Like, I'll be your test test pilot." So that was restaurant one. Unfortunately, it closed down the stockpot. It was a famous place on the King's Road for a long time as a calf. Mm-hmm. And then there was Rosa Pomodoro on the Fulham Road. Um, and Mario was their marketing manager. He, he's a great guy. And he kind of was like, he wanted to do delivery um, himself. And then he was just sort of like, okay, like if you're going to do it, like, let, let's see how this goes, right? And the third one was um, Busaba on the King's Road. Um, Love Busaba. Yeah, it was great. And there were chains. So so was Rosa Pomodoro. But Mario was a decision maker. There was this one waitress there. Um, called Kinga. And I remember her really well. She was like, the smartest like person. And she would spend she was like a waitress, but she would spend time with me. I'm like, Hey, I want to show you how this works. And, and she got really intrigued. And she was like, Okay, you know what, we do a lot of like takeout, but this could really drive sales. And so she talked to the head office and took forever. But eventually, those were the three first restaurants we got on. And so I used to walk up and down the Kings Road, Fulham Road, Old Brompton Road, you know, Old Church Street, and just talk to restaurant owners. Um, so New Culture Revolution was another one that's still on. It's it's doing really well. And were, um, they, were they doing delivery already or were they – So no, not really, right? Um, Busaba wasn't uh, – Rosa Pomodoro – I remember like Mario telling me he's like – I just – he's like um, – in the accent, I, I probably shouldn't do that. Um, he's like, probably uh, should. go, Will. Uh. He's like, Will, it's not going to work because you know, the uh, Neapolitan pizza, you can't, uh, it's not uh, like delivery, right? And That's I was quite like, That's I, was, I mean, I don't
1: know Mario, but I mean, you nailed it.
0: <laughs> Mario actually doesn't sound like that, but this other guy in the place did. Um, I have a lot of Italian friends, so um, hopefully they're. Yeah, so, so hope it sounded like
1: one of them. <laughs> yeah, it sounds
0: like all of them. Um, but um, yeah, so it was just kind of wandering those streets because, like, you know, we were just in one neighborhood for the first probably three months. Of operations, yep. So starting from Feb 13 to May 13, we we're in one neighborhood. And, you know, I was doing deliveries every night. Um, so I had a scooter, you know, I, I, and then I started recruiting scooter drivers as well, just kind of talking to them on the street, being like, hey, you want to join the And they're like, <laughs> who are you? Yeah. Like, what do you want? Yeah. And, and so the early days was, there was about three riders, um, three or four riders. Um, there was Mirza, there was Hanif, there was Saeed, and there was Mott And we used to just wait in the, um, the Starbucks in the, in the uh, Royal Chelsea – no, sorry, not the uh, Chelsea Westminster Hospital. Right, okay. That, that one on the Fulham Road.
1: Like a little motley crew with your, with your bikes ready. Oh, we to... were definitely
0: a motley crew because we didn't have any business, right? So yeah. we were just sitting there, like, waiting for orders, and we had this – I mean, what we had really – so we had a consumer website – and Rich will tell you it was just a website. It was we didn't have an app. It was not mobile optimized. So you'd have to kind of zoom in to the checkout button to actually transact. So that was funny. We actually built a decent restaurant tablet. That that was pretty good. And then our, our writer app, we basically just had, we tried to build something because most of the writers had Android phones. So we built something in titanium that ideally would work on both iOS and Android, but Kind of, like, didn't work on either, if I'm honest. And was Greg doing all of this? Greg was doing, yeah, Greg was doing this. Yeah. And, yeah, it was just me and him, I guess. Yeah, yeah at that point, wow. yeah. So so Greg was the single-handedly most productive person you can, like, work with, right? Yeah,
2: across the uh, that's That's, like, full-stack development across everything there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, on Skype and kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. or in my, like, living room. It was a lot of fun, though. Like, it was just, like, the two of us. And then, um, yeah, we'd sit there, like, waiting for orders, um, do you remember having like a good rapport with the other driver? Like, what was it like was it kind of like fun and like
1: camaraderie, or was it kind of like at like more so for you because it's your business and for them they're kind of just waiting around for something to happen?
0: Yeah, well, I'm just thinking back, right? Um, no, they were really all really nice guys, right? So we had, we had nothing to do, so we just chat to each other yeah. most of the time. Right? Do they still do they still ride? Yeah, Hanif does. Uh Saeed does. Must Mirza. be some quite cool pride being like, no, I was, I was the first. <laughs> I mean, I see them. Yeah, I try to have lunch with um, Hanif and Saeed. Mirza moved back to Pakistan. Okay. I don't know where Mount Lube is. I actually learned some pretty interesting things from them because uh, there was the Starbucks. So they, we would always get kicked out of the hospital one because it closed like at eight, I remember. Mm-hmm. And there was one across the street that's like a smaller Starbucks. And we'd go in there. And every day, like the guy would kick us out. Um, and I, and I was always like trying to understand what, cause we would buy stuff and they're like, no, you guys got to go. Like you can't just sit in here all day. And I guess it was probably probably the first time in my life that, you know, someone, how do I describe this? Looked at me in a way. I don't know if disdain is the right word, but maybe just very indifferent, maybe is the right word. And, you know, because it's me and, like, three Pakistani guys, and, like, I was kind of getting mad this guy was kicking us out all the time, right? These dudes were just like, hey, man, just go, like, whatever. And I just realized that yeah, these guys probably deal with that, like, every day, you know? So, I don't know what my point is, but I, I think it was just, like, it just made me, like, just think... something to prove. Well, no, just, like, no, no, not like that. Just, like, um... These people you know they, they were seen as anonymous is probably the best way to put it, right mm. And they weren't treated with with respect or dignity and but they were they were so used to it, you know that just kind of made me sad a bit. So you've got four riders. you've got a handful of
1: restaurants in Chelsea, yeah, and you've got what is this like over the course of a year? you've kind of like started to get going? Yeah,
0: so let's see. So year uh, sorry month three, yeah. we actually end up going to Mayfair. We called that MMS Mar-le-bone, May- Mayfair Marlebone Soho. So that's where we launched. Right. And so we started kind of – I remember the first big kind of account we had was Blackstone. They, they started ordering from us. We would do stuff like um, just hand out flyers on the street. I wore a kangaroo costume like too many times. I really uh-huh. didn't enjoy wearing the kangaroo costume. Um, I still remember the Marlebone Street Fair of 2013, the real Greek – was that real Greek – it was one of those restaurants, I don't remember, asked me, hey, do you mind wearing the kangaroo costume around to the street fair? And I was like, oh, OK. And I just remember like these – they weren't even kids. These, these women, these they were like 20 years old for sure. And they were like loved drinking, it. grabbing my tail like, nonstop, really and I'm that. like, and I'm like, listen, do I want to be here in a kangaroo costume? Um, <laughs> was it even deli- delivery branded, or was it no? No, it was no, just, a, it? It was just
2: a,
1: a random kangaroo. It was
0: brilliant. Was was a hat on and everything. Yeah.
1: right. So you literally couldn't. You could have. Might as well not have been you. Which is the best part? Yeah, about well it.
0: of Yeah. Well, they yeah they were just grabbing my tail and wouldn't leave me alone. And so I was like, okay.
1: Do you ever whip it out at the Christmas party still?
0: No, I haven't worn the... Uh, it's It just gets me too hot. As you can see, I'm sweating right no, that's now. That's so.
1: true. Yeah, I cannot really... I mean, imagining you in a kangaroo
2: costume, it I mean, feels like animal cruelty in both the, ways. In, in the, in the, <laughs>
0: the, definitely for the kangaroo. Yeah, that's in the summertime. Sure. Did, yeah.
2: did you... Uh, so, so obviously you got started. I mean, to give some background, like uh, we talked about this before the interview, but I was also doing a business very similar to Deliveroo yeah. and we were kind of like early days both kind of riding around London doing the same thing. But was there a certain point that you you were aiming towards in terms of restaurants signed up or deliveries you were doing before you knew you could go and raise some funding for
0: this? Like having. Well, had I, I was of fun. funding it myself, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what I did initially. And then um, I was introduced to a few people who were really, really knowledgeable about the restaurant industry. So they became two uh, of my seed investors, Giles Thorley, who... I uh, used to run Punch Taverns, and then he was also chairman of Tragus, which owned Bella Italia, Café Rouge, and Strada. And the other guy was Graham Turner. He was the CEO of that company. Um, so they were great. And, and so I was introduced to them, and they were like, hey, like – I was like, hey, let me get your advice about this. And they were like, cool, but like I would love to invest in the business. And so we raised a tiny bit of money, I think maybe a 100,000 pounds, something like that, S-E-I-S. Yeah, yeah. So my friends invested – and then from there, basically, and you'd self-funded um, it until that point. Yeah, I mean, like, and you did like. It's not like I didn't take a salary. Greg didn't take a salary, so yeah. it's not like it really cost that much to do, right? And we had some, I mean, tablets to buy and you know some hosting and whatever. Just like wasn't wasn't a big deal. Yeah, sure, right. And then, um, yeah, I think I got really excited about the business when we got out to outside of pure central London. So I think it was um, – I want to say Chiswick or Clapham. I don't remember which one. One of the C's. One of the C's. And, in, in, you know, the the customer engagement numbers were really the same as central London. Because I was I was like, hey, maybe this will be – I, I didn't know, right? I was like, maybe the business is just for kind of people that want like – because we were focused on independent restaurants, right? So we were like, maybe that's that's the scene and maybe that's a central – very central London thing. Soho, Chelsea, Mayfair. Turns out it wasn't. And that's when we got, you know, really – confident that this was a much bigger problem we were trying to solve
1: so fast forwarding a little bit so if I'm correct um, you raised a two million pound
0: angel rat was that your first round that was series A that was series A yeah now these series A's are much bigger right yeah Yeah. exactly
1: you get these like you know dickheads being like I just raised my ten
0: million seed ten oh Oh, yeah seed yeah exactly exactly
1: (laughs) anyway so uh, so good so there is there is an element of uh, of normal grounding in the scenario of your fundraising story as well especially at the start yeah
0: I mean like I think we we kind of raised capital Well, look. I mean, I self-funded it, then raised a hundred thousand pounds, right? And then, yes, then then sort of, you know, things got things got um, more heated, I guess. But index is around, yeah. I guess it was like, I don't remember two point seven million pounds, something like that. And and at the time, we were like, like holy shit, like, what do we do with this, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But Do, do do you
1: remember roughly like how many restaurants you had on board, or how many customers, like broadly?
0: Probably had like 50 restaurants, 100, something like that. We were in five neighborhoods at that point. We were in Chelsea, South Cannes, Marlebone, Mayfair, Soho, Shoreditch, the city, Notting Hill, and Islington. So 2013 was me and Greg Till I hired Justin, who's our first employee still at Deliveroo, in maybe September. And then Lenny, who I hired in November – So I would just, like, be on the streets all day. Yeah. Um, And Justin would, like, be out there, you know, selling the thing. But it was actually pretty easy to sell because we had really good technology. And it was just like, hey, this is how it works. And people were like, okay, like, it's working in Chelsea. Like, we'll try it out. So it wasn't a hard sell for people.
1: Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, you get to, um, I guess, the the Series A pitch, which you said, like, about 50 restaurants, right? So I'm imagining you're talking about uh, roughly – A big vision pitch, right? As in, this is the future of food ordering? Because at that point, I guess there's not like this ridiculous metrics, but there's like enough to definitely see that that could be the future. Yeah, you know
0: what? I don't think my, my, my pitch probably wasn't like, I don't actually, actually, I'm trying to remember in my head. It was probably about like, hey, like this is just a huge missing piece of food delivery. You have the marketplace model, which I think is an inferior consumer experience. We've unlocked all this demand, not just in Chelsea, but in a few other neighborhoods as well. And and our you know, retention and frequency of these users is really high. It's I mean obviously early adopters, but like we didn't market at all. We had no marketing budget, and we were just out there, right? And people were using it.
1: So how long between that and like things just going completely gangbusters? Well, what was the gap between like your Series A and Series B in terms of uh, how much you raised? The B.
0: Okay, so the A. Was Jan fourteen? Yeah, Jan or Feb fourteen, and the B came a year later. Okay, so uh, that B was to set us up to do international expansion. And how much did you raise then? Twenty.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that's a huge jump. Twenty dollars, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Fine. But it's like a roughly ten x jump, and so that's like you can see all the potential, and suddenly you're moving into
0: other. Did you move to? Was it Brighton second? Brighton and Cambridge were second, and okay. we we picked those cities just because they were close enough that we we don't we, we don't have offices in those places, and so we could just send people on the train. Oh right, right, okay, yeah, fair. And then, like a few more in England before you went international. Yeah, we're probably in about five or six cities in 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 the UK. So we opened Manchester, then and then we actually opened an office there, Birmingham, Leeds. Yeah,
1: okay, and then France, second market, or yeah.
0: So we opened Dublin in paris at the same time
2: okay by, by that point did you kind of have like a like a playbook where you're like we're launching in the city this is exactly what we need to do we know we're going to, Got to get will in the kangaroo outfit yeah. going knocking <laughs> yeah. on doors I heading mean, into
0: the parties i don't know if we had a playbook like we we had a i had a vision of like how many restaurants a customer should see yeah right and then like we had a framework for you know signing up signing up riders but remember like every every country was so different, right? Like France had a really different sort of, there were a lot of people on scooters, but like, how do you talk to them and how do you get them excited about this? And then people in Ireland were really different. So we had a general sense of the customer value proposition, but not exactly how to execute on it.
1: Okay. And, and and also like, you know, this is a bit of a nerdy question, but um, it just sort of made me realize, you know, it must have uh, shifted a lot of uh, supply and demand understanding from within each restaurant. So obviously they're used to, Covering as many meals as they can cover, and then suddenly you've got Deliveroo, and there's all this demand and stuff, so they have to cook more and they have to order more. Did you, did you find that like a was that was that something you had to engage with them on? Not you not, to? not
0: initially because no. like the way restaurants thought about us initially was like, oh, this is awesome. Like I'm getting five or ten more covers a night. Cool, great. I don't need to hire any more people. I've already got the chef here, I paid for the rent, and that was the pitch, right? Yeah, it yeah. was like this is what's what's happening. And so, no, initially that was not, never something that people really talked about.
1: Okay, fine. So, until
0: it became just a much bigger part of the business. Sure. And then when did you launch Additions? So, Additions, we, let's see, what is today? Uh, September 19. So, basically, we launched it a little over two years ago, right? And and the idea behind Additions was our busiest restaurant partners, we were getting to be 20 to 30% of their revenue. And that actually caused operational issues, uh, both in the front of house and back of house. And so what I said is, I'm going to set up a off-premise kitchen for you, Mr. Restaurant. You can segregate delivery from in-house and focus on both and do both better. But then I realized, actually, the, the problem we were solving was much more strategic than that, because essentially what we're doing, in addition to what it is for, for your listeners, is it's like a warehouse in industrial estate that's segmented into kitchens, and then restaurants take up occupancy in those kitchens, and then they cook the food. We provide a physical uh, infrastructure layer, delivery layer, and then software layer to operate the kitchen. And so the idea basically was we are actually creating new supply for neighborhoods, right? That's actually what we're doing. We have data that says we think a Thai restaurant at this price point should should do well, et cetera, et cetera.
2: So not, yeah, And then so we're I love like, that. I think it's awesome.
0: Yeah. So it's that that's it's a really core part of our strategy. It and, makes it
2: super efficient as well. But it, I guess that you but there has been some issues in terms of like, finding those locations as there in terms of like, and some local councils, I know, have yeah. basically objected to that. Yeah. But uh, how have you overcome that?
0: We've had really constructive discussions with the councils and, 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 and the residents, right? Yeah. Because I totally get having a bunch of scooters coming into an area that maybe doesn't even have a lot of residences, but has some is really a problem, right? And so, one, one area, so Swiss Cottage, um, we have a site on Finchley Road where we actually, instead of um, scooters, we only allow bicycles and electric scooters, and that's made a huge difference. Yeah. And the council, I think, was much happier about that, mm. right? And then things like you know odor reduction and things like that. But, but we're creating supply um, for people that don't have it is essentially what we're doing. And we're also allowing restaurants to expand into different areas. And then thirdly, it's a completely different economic model. Right. Because you don't have a front of house. Your rent is minuscule compared to what it would be on the high street. Right. And so, you know, these things, I think, will become a bigger and bigger part of the eating out economy.
1: So in terms of, um, I guess, growing the business and uh, you know, you've know, you got like your, your standard offering and then you've come up with additions, which is obviously, like you said, there's a supply and demand scenario where yeah. you've suddenly got so much demand you almost need to create the supply. So You're creating new opportunities for restaurants yeah. to uh, provide op- opportunities for their customers. But like in all this sort of uh, uh, growing experience, in the background, you've got the dreaded Uber mm-hmm. um, launching in the market. And can you take us through... The behind what was happening at Deliveroo at the time? Was there this kind of, like, fear? Was there this opportunity? Um, how did you guys respond to that? Do you yeah, remember I the think, kind of
0: emotions? I'm, I'm trying to actually think about... I'm trying to remember all the competitive context from not just them, but before, right? So, you know, when we first launched, it was it was Rich's company, and then there was a company called Dine-In, which was run by this guy Evan in London, right? And so kind of there was that, and there was another guy I don't remember anymore. Um and then Take It Easy became a thing. And then and then Rocket Internet launched their own thing called Foodora. So we were always like, wow, these Rocket Internet's got so much money. You know, like what, what are we going to do? And then, of course, Uber launched in our markets probably about three and a half years ago now. So it's, it's actually been quite a, quite a bit of time. Because Uber Eats launched as the service where you could, like, get a meal delivered in five minutes. They would actually hold the food in their, the guy's car and, and then, like you, would, you would just hit uh, a button. Yeah, yeah I and it, yeah. it would yeah, show it up. They didn't do it in London, but they did it in like SF. But
2: they had like set meals, didn't they? Yeah, it was kind of like yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, so that that's kind of what they did. You know, I think like you know, anytime a big competitor kind of enters a market, yeah, you're like, you know, you get fired up for that, right? Like we're all really competitive people at Deliveroo, and so I think it was actually just pushed us all to get, you know, much better, right? Mm. And and because. You know, without competition, like, it'd be interesting to understand what this world would look like without competition, because it was really easy for us to differentiate from just eat, right? Because they didn't deliver the food, you couldn't track the order, you didn't know when the food was going to show up. That made sense for people. But, you know, when a bigger competitor comes in, who's a, you know, really kick ass technology company. You know, that's pretty motivating for people.
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, you go back to, like, in the 60s with the space race in the U.S., like, like they're competing in Russia, and that was the, one of the main reasons why they got there first. I think yeah. the world without competition would be far less no, of world, it's, it's, it's
0: definitely, you know, uh, yeah. And so so we had the big gorilla just eat, and then you have, well, the big gorilla Uber as well. Yeah, sure. And then we're sitting there going, okay, like, you know, what do we do? And then I think 16 was sort of the peak of their sort of fundraising you know sort of prowess I don't know if that's true because they kept raising more money but but kind of like they were like a very sort of like feared company and so I think our teams responded you know really well in, in, in different markets
1: was there a lot of poaching going on at the time did people try and approach your guys to come over to uber the dark side you mean the restaurants or no 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 for like your employees from uber no no one did so it wasn't really like that. It was kind of like just... Well, the, maybe they tried. Yeah, okay, know. fair <laughs> enough. So they had the lo- loyalty to, uh, you know, to hopefully one day see you in a kangaroo outfit again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah how,
1: like, uh, I need to stick around for this one. It's going to happen, guys. <laughs>
2: yeah. As, as you kind of grown to this scale and you've you've obviously hired people early on, has it been difficult on how you manage people kind of as you've grown? Like, uh, obviously, I don't think Greg's with the business anymore, yeah. like full-time, but maybe him and other people. Like, how was that a challenge in itself, trying to to grow people in, in their own roles as well as the yeah. business?
0: So, so I would say, you know, getting people to scale um, at a company that grows this quickly is really challenging. You look for initially maybe a different set of attributes as you would later on. There's some core attributes you always, you know, stick to. But, you know, in the beginning, it's like, what are you looking for? It's really scrappy, smart people that can do all multitaskers, right? And I guess like in your business as well, like low ego. Because, you know, um, you do the delivery,
1: do all this stuff. There's no sort of like, no, this is my role. I sit here and I do this.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't work at a 20 person organization for sure. sure but I think right? that's
1: what's really nice about what sounds like your culture. That's a great way of just sense checking people's ego as well. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I hope so, you know, like, and I, and I hope that persists. But the idea um, is that over time, a lot of people aren't going to scale with the business and, it's better for them if they leave, it's better for the company if they leave. But that's the hardest conversation you can have, because they've given everything at that point. And without them, the company wouldn't exist, right? So how do you reconcile all of that? That's very, very hard.
1: And how have you dealt with that? Have you had coaches, mentors, like take us through like the, the growth story of you personally, like as a leader, because it's been 2013 to 2015, okay, like a little slow or whatever. But then after that, like so steep, Like how do you do that? It's your first time. Like it's like a home run first first time round. So No, it
0: definitely doesn't feel like a home run. Um the first time. I've I haven't really had that. I I certainly like Giles and Graham would, would be super helpful. I have a board member, you know, that I talk to all the time who founded two large e commerce companies. But he came later. I would say um, no. The answer is no. And sort of tried to figure it out myself and fucked up a bunch of times. I'm sure.
1: What about management teams around you? Like, how have you selected them? Have you had like a different um, understanding of what, like, for example, a COO and a CFO needed to be five years ago? Whereas now you're like, why? Well, I, I think I got that really wrong, or it's completely different the shape of what I thought I needed those people to be. How's that kind of progressed
0: for you? Yeah, you know, I love the team now. It's 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 great. But you know, it, it takes time to get there, and like you said, the understanding of a role—like, what is what is a CEO? What is a CFO? What does a CTO actually do? Right? All these things you actually have to start writing down and being pretty methodical about, because it it actually just changes a yeah. lot too.
1: Yeah, and you, I guess you uh, hope in your wild dreams that they are different, right? As in, you want you want that you want that kind of progression to happen naturally. Otherwise, you you've stood still for yeah. too long.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Talk to me a little bit about your um, your choice of investors. Like, has it always been like a personal choice? Have been very like clear about who you want and who you don't, or is you know it not quite so black and white like that? I think because... it's about
0: I think it's about personal connection with with them, yeah. right? You know, do you think they'll be a good partner? Are they going to be supportive? Are they more of you know? Are they going to be hands off, hands on? It's all of these different things, and not one is right or wrong. But you have a set of things you're looking for. And hopefully they match that.
1: What's been the most difficult investor conversation you've had?
0: I think my board is very, you know, challenges, you know, us all the time. Right. And so I think that um, I'm trying to think of like the most difficult one. No, I'd say like every board meeting is like, hey, we're doing this well, we're not doing this well. Here's what we can do better. And they push us hard. You know, they push us really hard.
1: But has there been any sort of um, like suggestions uh, to like go a certain direction at some point where you're just like, that does not feel right for the company. And like, you just gone to like log ahead. It doesn't have to be with an, an existing investor, so to speak, but even like a prospective one. Have there been those kind of moments?
0: Not like explicitly like we think you should do this and you have to do this. I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, I'm in charge of the company because they believe in, in the vision and where we want to, you know, where we want to take the company. And so if it got to that point, you know, that'd probably be a problem.
1: What would you say was your most stressful day on the job so far?
0: I mean, I have stressful days all the time. They're pretty normal, to be honest. So I did have, I'm just trying to think through the really early days. (laughs) I'd say the the one that really sticks out is sort of year one, or maybe it was like year 1.5. You know, we were growing super fast and, and the site just went down for four hours. That was pretty stressful, and, and Greg was in Chicago trying to, like, figure it out, and I don't remember exactly what the issue, that, that was pretty stressful, but yeah, I mean, this job, like, the way I sort of explain this job to people is, like, you know, you're changing the way people eat, you're also changing the way people work, you're changing the face of online and physical restaurant retail, there's sort of a regulatory component of the job, then you've got intense competition that kind of on the same scale as ride-sharing was maybe a few years ago. Right. And so like you put all that together and it's like, wow, this is like an intense job. And 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 then you could say, well, why would you take this job? Right. Well, it's because it's the biggest market in the world and we're early and we're fundamentally changing just how people live. That's really exciting. But not every day is chill. Like not Mm -hmm. at all. Like Uh, like, almost never.
1: Yeah. Well, what about like, you know, the period, I guess, a really new period for you. Like there's obviously there's a lot of um, public I guess, light on you guys during the the, 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 the whole gig economy thing with yeah. the riders. Yeah. Um, you guys were under particular scrutiny. Do you feel like that's because you were like the the big guys, it's so obvious to go after you? Do you feel like you had more share of that uh, limelight in the press than your competitors? Like, how do you view that now? And also just as a person, having built this company with this vision, this passion, clearly, also the camaraderie with your early like riders and stuff, you know, you're not by any sounds of it, like the type of guys like, oh, they're just my writers, like you were doing that with them. So did you not feel personally attacked, um, irritated, like, 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 such a new experience for you emotionally? How did you deal with that period?
0: Yeah, look, we were a, you know, uh, a really small company at that point, I don't think we communicated things really well, and things probably could have been avoided, if I'm honest. And then yes, we were kind of the growing company. And we got we got attention from it. But honestly, you know, I don't feel personally attacked. I mean, the way I sort of think about it is there are fundamental things I believe in, and and I don't really care what the media says. It's not, I mean, I if someone tells me to read an article, I'll read it. But like, ultimately, what do I care about? Well, I know our writers want flexibility. There's no way we could have 150,000 people working around the world if they didn't value that, right? And what does that mean? That means the ability to log in and out I want to work for Uber, I want to work for Amazon, I can do all that, I can go to the pub instead of showing up, like all of that stuff. There's no way that exists without flexibility. Number two is is pay, right? And so, you know, like in the UK, we pay well above, you know, the national living wage and minimum wage. And then the third part is really around benefits, right? And this is where like, I have a personal passion for my and I'm not a politician, I'm not a lawyer. So I can't really explain this outside of from a technical basis. This is just how I feel. You know, the average delivery rider in the UK works with us about 14 hours a week, right? A lot of them are students, 50, 60% of them are students. The barriers to entry are super low. You need a bicycle and a phone, right? So it's different than being an Uber driver where you need a car, petrol, TFL, license, all that stuff, insurance, right? And, And so the way I think about it is, if you work with Deliveroo 40, 50 hours a week, I want you to have benefits that are akin to an employee, even though you're not an employee, because you can choose never to turn up if you want, right? Now, if you work for Deliveroo four to five hours a week, my view is that you shouldn't have those rights, right? And 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 I don't know how that gets into law. Like, we're talking to different governments and trying to formalize this trade-off or eliminate this trade-off between flexibility and security, that which seems to exist, right? That's that's ultimately how I feel about it. And, and, and so when I talk about it, I'm passionate about it, but... It comes from a place of I know the writers, I've done that job for a year, and I think that when people say, "Well, everyone should be an employee," that's not the right way to think about it because that's not actually what they want.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I guess in different countries, that you you you're launched in like France, for example, has is quite renowned for having different employment laws than mm-hmm. in the UK and and many different countries. That is always going to be a challenge. Every you know, market you launch into is, is understanding that, I guess.
0: It, yeah, that, that's the regulatory part of it. And, you know, you want to make sure you're on the right side of that. But also you want to have constructive conversations with regulators and explain this is what we're trying to do and politicians, because ultimately, you don't want everything to be settled in the court of law, you actually want governments to recognize there's a new way of working. And what about
1: relationships? Like, have you been able to like romantically, like your friends, your your family? Like, how has building Deliveroo into this big company affected it's not, that?
0: Yeah, it's not. It's 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 harder, right? I mean, you just don't have as much time to see people. But I think, I mean, to, to your point about actually, how do you cope with, you know, the, this stuff? I think making time for that, you know, is incredibly important. But it's not it's not easy, right? Because your your days can be pretty volatile. But yeah. Is every day
2: is any day the same? Like you hear some founders like Jack Dorsey will focus on like product one day on Australia next. What's it like for you? Do you go in and be like, I know that Mondays is is media? Or yeah. or whatever. Happens? No,
0: no. Um, and I'd say that's one of my big challenges, right? Because I'm not a professional executive. So I don't, I was actually having this conversation with one of our board members, Daryl, he founded uh, Blue Nile and Zulily, two big e commerce companies. And he was kind of given me shit about being disorganized around certain things it, it was it was good actually but he was like look man you're you're a founder you're going to be disorganized like otherwise you wouldn't have started a company like you people that are hyper organized probably don't do that right and he's like he had to learn how to get more organized and and just be really regimented about planning out the week mm. right and so those are like some of the things i'm trying to do but i don't have i don't i don't have like the monday tuesday wednesday thing yet but i'm you know that's something I'm working on because, you know, you're a founder too. You guys are founders. Like you'll jump into problems and go really deep, but sometimes that's actually not that helpful. Yeah. Right. And what about weekends? I mean, I, I try to, ha- you know, I try to hang out with people, you know, but I, I, I work a lot. What what's your
1: best day at Deliveroo? Do you have like a moment where you're like, God, this is just fucking, this is the zest. I have so many days like that. Today, so many days this, like this that. moment, obviously, this interview. This moment's yeah. probably the, the yeah. pinnacle yeah. of my yeah.
0: career. But I'd say, um, <laughs> if I'm not, like, like okay, I'll tell that would you have been
1: what, a great soundbite if Rich had not laugh through Sorry. it.
0: <laughs> Do yeah, it again. That was really awkward. <laughs> Do it again. Yeah. I think for me, what I love more than anything is primary research, talking to customers, talking to writers, talking to restaurants, and doing that in different markets. And that, that really energizes me. And just understanding like, what are the problems they face and how can we solve them? Like, that to me is, like, super motivating. Seeing a team build build product that, like, they thought two months ago was impossible is, like, super motivating to me. Seeing team members, like, we talked about how, yeah, like, it's tough for people to scale. But then the people that do, when they rise to leadership positions, they prove maybe my initial intuition wrong is super rewarding. So I'd say, like, I have so many great days, right? I mean and, and and they're all super varied
2: I think uh, I've been to your office a couple of times, and obviously having started our business at the same time, started were, yours.
1: We you invited, or is this more competitive uh, research? Should we wear kind of a fake mustache.
2: Stuck. He's going to go through the NDAs now. He's going to make sure <laughs> you have the sign one. I day know, day I day. know, it's I good. know. I did, I did. But but you know, ha- I know, you know your new offices by Cannon Street. Well, not new now, but they two, were at the two time. Two and a half here. years. Yeah, beautiful offices. Got like a basketball court in the, like the center. But it's,
0: it's not a basketball court. Everyone it's says like, it is. It looks. It's, it's got it's, basketball markings.
1: I saw a photo and I was like, "That's a cool basketball court." It's just
0: a. It's just a, yeah, it's like an all hands
1: pitch.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The we, famous all
1: hands yeah. pitch that everyone's incredibly <laughs> familiar with when they see a photo of it. But yeah, then I
2: you, know. You, you know, you must sometimes like. Uh, my favorite even, game. Even, even I walked through that. I was like, wow, you know, you, you guys <laughs> have achieved, you guys have achieved a lot. Like, you go from like where you came from working with Greg, you know, just the two of you, and then walking into an office like that and just seeing everybody working on the
0: same thing. And it's like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know what? Um, it's cool to see everyone kind of like working towards that thing. The office thing doesn't really like it doesn't matter to me that much. No, no, like no, our but first office, we didn't have windows or heating yeah. on Cleveland Street. And frankly, that was great. I, I love that.
1: That must be why you like this room so much.
0: <laughs> well, this room has a lot of heat, but no windows. Yeah. yeah. So a little bit different. Did, did, did
2: you do that to get talent then in terms of like if you're not that bothered about that as the founder, what was the reason for getting a grail? Yeah,
0: I think so. I mean, look, you also want to be in a place where send, there's transport links and things like that, right? You're so, on a, just out of context. So,
2: they are on a train station. They are. You're literally. Yeah, above we're a train on station. Cannon
0: Street Station. Yeah. right. So we're above the train tracks. Um, no, but we're really lucky to be in that you know beautiful office. But like, honestly, if we were like you know in a scrappier place, that that wouldn't bother me at all. You
1: know? Talk to us before you go about the Amazon deal. So if you've got, you know, a couple of minutes for it, it's uh, probably not the quickest story, but um, who approached who? How did that even come up? Because I know that they were looking into, I mean, there was a lot of noise about them doing something like this two or three years ago. And there's was just, like a lot of like, I guess, flirting in the media about doing it, but never really seemed to go anywhere.
0: Yeah, I don't know what any of those media stories were about, honestly, um, was introduced um, to them um, at a conference and, you know, just started chatting and then kind of one thing led to another and it became an investment. Uh, that was it.
1: Was it like a particularly st- strategic investment or is it more like this is the deal we're doing and they seem like a very sensible partner amongst other sensible partners as an opportunity?
0: Yeah, I think it's I think I think it's the latter and certainly they're they're incredibly I mean the most successful sort of e-commerce and operations company in the history of mankind, so that that's good. <laughs> yeah. Do you, you, did, did you get any uh, particular like
1: access or insights into things that the rest of us mere mortals would just never know about Amazon? What are they really
0: working on? Can't, can't tell you. Can't oh, tell us. Yeah,
1: exactly. No, the reality is I don't. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, so it I sounds much cooler just to be like, you didn't sign the NDA, Dan. So. <laughs> uh, coming to a close now. So for other entrepreneurs suitably inspired and looking to follow in similar footsteps to you, what do you think the most meaningful insight you can offer to them about how to prepare for a big old growth journey like this is?
0: I would definitely try to get a mentor that's done it before. I think I didn't have that. Um, I think that would be probably really helpful. Is it about starting a company or the growth journey? The the growth, actually. I think understanding that you will not be able to plan for what happens is is pretty important and just being okay with that. Um, I'm luckily that kind of personality. Um, I think the third part is like there will be team members that, you know, don't scale and it's better for the company and better for them That you part ways, but it is super, super hard and just be aware of that. And then I'd say the fourth thing across all of this, just be incredibly consumer obsessed. Like just put yourself in the shoes of the customer constantly because if you lose that, then you, you, you kind of lose everything.
1: Considering you probably spend a lot of time thinking about this, what does the future of the gig economy actually look like? And like where does deliveries place in that market exist?
0: Yeah, I think I talked earlier about kind of my ideal state. And, and, and that state is ending this trade-off between flexibility and security, giving people who are contractors, or whatever new classification they want to call it, the right to have things like holiday pay, sick pay, pensions, But doing that in a way that doesn't compromise their flexibility, Um, and I talked about 130,000, 150,000 people logging in every day to do this job, that would never happen if they're working on like sort of eight-hour shifts. And that's fundamentally like the issue. I want to offer all those things, but I can't compromise the flexibility. Otherwise, they don't want that completely cut up that's that's my view i'm sure there's other opinions but feel pretty strongly about it
1: well thank you for sharing yours on the show it's been awesome to have you
0: cool thanks hope you've enjoyed it yeah i I have thanks here at mindset win we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do
2: taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests we will hear stories strategies tips and tricks
0: told by leading names in sport and beyond
2: who know what it takes to get to the very top
0: There will be
1: two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow.
2: Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.
1: Well, that's all from us this series. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Rich and I put together the whole show for free. We've got no employees. We've got no salary. We take nothing from it. And we both run our own startups full time. So this really is our side hustle adventure. And we're pretty proud to say it's become Europe's number one business podcast, overtaking How I Built This, Tim Ferriss and all those other guys. It only took us four years, but we got there and obviously we're pretty chuffed with the outcome. Now, if you want to follow us on our journey building our own startups and indeed making Series 5 behind the scenes, then you can at Dan Marie Serta and at Rich Martell on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Now, as for Series 5, we'll be back with another blockbuster guest list which is already in the works. A huge thank you to our sponsors, who thanks to your activity as listeners means we've secured all three once again to pay for Series 5. So thank you to Plio, Clavio, and LaFosse for all your support. Now, as you will have heard, I've been making my own new startup, Heights, which you can check out at www.yourheights.com and at yourheights on Instagram. And I'm delighted to say many of our guests on the show have come in as investors. So there's an unintended but glorious reality for the magic that can happen if you start a podcast. Now to that note, if you ever want to start your own, I've written an article on how we did everything, from starting up with £200 to beating Tim Ferris to the number one spot, which you can find pinned to my Twitter feed. Finally, a huge thank you to Christina Katz for the beautiful designs, Hannah Russell of Mag's Creative for the brilliant PR and marketing support, Harry and Daniel at Lower Street Media for editing, and all of you, our fans, for listening and attending our many live events. We've got one left on May the 5th, so grab a ticket at secretleaders.com forward slash live. And now it's finished, please do take a moment to go on social and tell your friends about Secret Leaders. It's the only way we grow. Thanks for everything, guys. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you later this year for Series 5. And remember, tune in or you'll miss out.